I guess the one thing that has been consistent that I've learned is that grief never really goes away. Um, it kind of grows as part of you and it becomes, it becomes a part of you. Mm-hmm. And you develop like a, a relationship with grief when you experience a loss in such a way that your loved one becomes actually a constant presence in their absence in some ways in more of a profound way than when people are living. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life examples of growth through grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to this show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. Today's guest is author, coach, and consultant Linda Saran. Linda has witnessed her life principle to make a joyful difference in the lives of those she touches, empower others to progress on their journeys. Whether seeking a path of scaling a summit, it's been said that Linda is the Sherpa you want as a guide along the way. Linda has been blessed by her own host of guides, husband, family, and friends, as she continues to navigate her own calling in this life. Throughout a 30-year marketing communications career spanning the corporate and nonprofit sectors, Linda has honed executive coaching, leadership, managerial presentation training, strategic planning, time management, and event planning skills. She received a Bachelor's of Arts and Master's of Science in Communication degrees from Northwestern University. Linda is published is a published writer, Chicago Tribune in the Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun Times, Evanston Review, North Shore Magazine, and Second Wind columns. Um, a motivational newsletter. She has served as board and vestry member and volunteer for various nonprofit organizations. Linda is an artist and vocalist of CDs, From the Heart 1 and 2. She enjoys nature, gardening, outdoor activities, traveling, music, and reading. Thank you so much, Linda, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jenny, for the opportunity, and I've really been looking forward to it. Amazing. Before we begin, where can people find you? Uh, the best place to touch base with me is at my website, the author website, which is www.lindasaran, that's L-I-N-D-A-S-A-R-A-N.com. They'll be able to get a good background of the birth of the books, where they've fit in my life, what their purpose is, and um, you know, just something about each book so they can familiarize themselves with them as well as they'll be able to purchase them. So it's also a one-step shop. Awesome. So in your bio, we didn't mention anything about your books. Tell us about them. Well, it's a trilogy, so there are three of them. (laughs) Um, The first one I wrote 25 years ago, um, about a month after my mom passed from ALS, and that book is entitled In My Dreams I Do. And I wrote that book in 45 minutes, and I self-published it um, back then, which is uh, a long time ago. Um, You know, there were no kinds of technological resources that we have today, and everything, you know, kind of looks like it was done by courier pigeon back then. (laughs) Um, But it took me a whole year to self-publish that book, and I had a lot of angels working with me, Um, a wonderful illustrator, Eileen Robinette, who I officed with. And she brought on a husband and wife design team that helped design the book and all, both, all of their services were donated. And then I got a $10,000 grant from Ron Polanco, um, who was the only pharmaceutical at that time. 
that uh, made a drug for ALS, which is what my mother passed from. Uh, and that enabled me to print the copies of the books and all the proceeds went to two charities that also helped me market it. So a year after that on my mother's birthday, I wrote the second book and that's called, I'm not gone, I'm the star. And I also wrote that and I think everything seems to be about 45 minutes for me. And I didn't plan any of these books. They just were kind of born. Uh -huh. um, it's a quick birth, however. <laughs> in some ways. Um, and so I was not up for self-publishing another book. I had, you know, my daughters were toddlers and um, that other book took an entire year. And so that got tucked away in a desk drawer um, until last year, 2021, my father passed at the age of 97 uh, in February and in May, the third book was born. It's me, the man, the moon. So all of a sudden I had a trilogy. And the trilogy was about the circle of life, about love and loss. And, you know, not, um, what am I trying to say? Not any less important legacy, because the legacy in the end is what we're left with. Mm -hmm. We're left with in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the books now are all being published by Dreams, Dream Spark Publishing, um, which is a division of Burning Soul Press. And they will be published November 15th, uh, 2022, in time for holiday gift giving. So I want to also point out that all proceeds are going to charity, not my expenses, of course, to, to publish the books. Yeah. Um, Dreams is really about, because it was inspired by my mother who had ALS, who still was able to forge a relationship with my two toddler daughters at the time. It was about uh, love's power to overcome physical limitations. And um, I had kind of forgotten, believe it or not, but it has been nearly a quarter of a century, mm -hmm. where the title came from. And fortunately, I had written it down in my personal dedication to my mother. Because one day when I was sitting chatting with her and I used to do her nails for her, I asked her, well, so what are your dreams like now? Do you dream and what are they like? And she said, in my dreams, I'm whole and healthy. So that's where the title in my dreams I do came from. Awesome. So that's all about the power of um, love and the spirit of um, abundance overcoming limitations. Um, mm -hmm. The Star and Moon books are more about the eternal presence in our hearts of of those who have passed on or for whatever reason are not with us but they've become part of us and we carry them with us um forever really so that's the trilogy in a nutshell i'm so excited for them to come out oh, um, thank you what are you most excited for in getting them published um, well, the the experience I had with the first book was, um, it was humbling and it was just uh, kind of overwhelmingly um, embracing. The organizations that partnered with me were the Les Turner ALS organization mm -hmm. and Rainbows for Children, um, which helped children deal with grief from any kind of loss. It could be a death, a divorce, incarcerated parent, um, anything a child deals with in their life in terms of having to understand the passage from losses and, and how you develop and grow and continue on. And, um, you know, I was in my corporate career at that time. And one of the things I did was I, you know, met with a lot of people that I worked with and different companies. That was when I was a career coach. And, you know, I sat across, you know, C-suite desks with men in suits and who were just brought to tears by the book. And I had so many people talk about the conversations that um, that evolved and that um, were sparked by reading these this book to, you know, the children that they loved, whether it was parents or aunts and uncles or caregivers. Um, and I had a uh, 
a book signing party at Barnes and Noble and had so many people come up to me and tell me what that book had done for them in terms Mm of um, some, of course, I don't recall, but some I'm sure were ALS families that had dealt with ALS, but many were just, you know, could be someone that he has contracted flu for a long time or COVID or, you know, anything that keeps them from sort of living that normal day-to-day existence with the children they love. And it was, it was very inspiring. Um, And then once that book was published from every year for the time, and my girls were 13 months apart, they weren't quite Irish twins because I'm Greek, but they were 13 months apart and not under 12. And um, I went to every one of their classrooms for both of them every single year from preschool all the way through, I think fifth grade was the year that we stopped. And each classroom would have me in and the girls had been the models for the illustrations. And so half the fun was for their classmates to guess which one was Afi and which one was Marina. Uh-huh. And, and so you can imagine when I started in preschool, it was one kind of a reading and one kind of a, a chat or a talk about with them. And then as I progressed through the different grades, I introduced, well, where do we get ideas for our art and where do we get ideas for our books? And I told them about where I got my idea. And sometimes there would be a conversation and kids would just burst out and jump in and say things or they would raise their hands. And um, I just found that that book inspired a lot of uh, connectivity between people, between Mm -hmm. children and um, the adults that love them. Even in the conversations I had with them, they they just seemed to really embrace that book and that book seemed to embrace them. So I guess an answer, that lengthy answer to your question is, <laughs> I'm, I did not expect, the other book I knew was there, but quite, quite frankly, I hadn't really thought about it many times, and I knew it was in there. Uh-huh. And it was like, okay, it's in there. <laughs> um, so until I wrote the third book, the moon book, after my dad's passing, I'm like, well, this is, this is something big, and it's something that's supposed to be out there. And so what I'm most excited about is getting this book in the hands of little children and big children and all the adults who love them and helping them have comforting, um, uh, exploring conversations between them. And then I'm also excited to, you know, write checks out to charity. So it's a Uh huge thing for me. It's a big it's a big passion project and it's an outgrowth of my career coaching that I've done all my life and the other coaching I've done. And I didn't expect the first book to have that kind of impact and yeah. to create those kinds of opportunities. And now I have a whole set um, and I created bookmarks. And so part of my walking campaign is going to be to bring them into um, children's departments at libraries, community centers, um, you know, hospital, pediatric, uh-huh. Um, departments and to leave the trilogy behind, but then the stack of bookmarks and then the adults will know where they can get those books. And um, yeah, so that's what I'm most excited about. And also I think I have two more tasks to get them onto the publisher's desk. So that's this week's project. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited to do this. My first podcast on this and I'm very appreciative of the opportunity and it's, It's part of the gift of this whole project. So thank you. Awesome. What have you learned throughout this project? Well, um, you know, sometimes you just have to let life happen to you and you have to keep your eyes and ears open because a lot of times, you know, it's the best laid plans. Uh, What we've taught our daughters is, you know, you make plans for everything. You Mm -hmm. have a whatever, a strategy or a goal. And then most of life is plan B. So I never really intended for any of these books to happen. Uh, Uh They literally just, you know, burst forth. And, you know, sometimes they were a burden. But I also sort of feel like particularly with this last phase now of finding a publisher who can take some of that um, responsibility off of my shoulders um, to have a team, a publishing team behind me. Um, and to see how these three books fit together so beautifully 
um, it's to kind of be open to letting things in your life evolve organically because they do believe that when we put things out there, things come to us and you either find them and you invite them in or you don't see them or you see them and you don't join them. Uh-huh. Um, so it's been a scary and exciting and kind of overwhelming at the same time. It's hard to do two books while working full time and, you know, managing all the other things. But I also sort of feel like this, these two books and then, you know, the, the sort of um, reintegration of the re-release of dreams was my parents' gift to me to keep me afloat. Awesome. Such a beautiful gift. It is. Are you up for exploring the grief a little bit? Uh, sure. So what have you learned about your grief through this process of writing the trilogies and printing the trilogies? Um, well, remember it's spanning, looking at it from, um, when I look at it from my mother's, you know, the period of grieving her and, and now this current one is it's only a year and a half, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all there is being responsible for closing up my father's affairs and COVID, just everything. Um, it's, it's, uh, very interesting because it's kind of like two experiences like bookends of my family yeah so the grief i experienced both during my mother's decline and after her passing was like heading toward the unknown and the unfamiliar and the unimaginable and of course the grief you know nearly a quarter century later um with my father was a very different kind of grief, much more of a jarring awareness and a finality. So um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like uh, when your second parent goes, I've heard a couple of analogies I think are just beautiful. One, so they're not mine. Um, one is that, uh, you know, you're suddenly an orphan. You're on the last car on the highway because the first two cars ahead of you. So you're you're the leader. Yeah. And the other one is like you're the last person on the last train car. So it's very interesting. So it's been, um, they were very different experiences. Uh And um, I guess the one thing that has been consistent that I've learned is that grief never really goes away. Um, It kind of grows as part of you and it it becomes a part of you. And you develop like a a relationship with grief when you experience a loss in such a way that um, your loved one becomes actually a constant presence in their absence. In some ways, in more of a profound way than when people are living. Mm -hmm. It's hard to describe, but I still um, am ready to pick up the phone or even 25 years later, or I find I'm just, you know, having a conversation with my mother or, you know, my father. So it's grief is a surprising thing. I think if you're open to it and if you pay attention to it, yeah, it's not, it is everything that we traditionally think about um, because it's a very palpable pain. It's a physical pain when it starts, mm-hmm. but then if you let it, it can become like a comforting embrace. Um, but it takes it takes a long process. And of course, you go back and forth a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you have your palpable moments that just pop up everywhere. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, because we, I think, at least our society, the American society anyway, thinks of grief in such a very confined way. You know, like it's all, I don't know sadness and loss Mm -hmm. and crying and it's it's all of those things it's a huge Mm -hmm. emptiness and it's huge to not be able to hug someone right but time does heal it really if you let it it enables you to let up the other dimensions of grief yeah 
I love that. That's so beautiful. Grief is like a warm embrace. And I think you're right. In our society, we don't often see grief as that. Grief is is more often than not portrayed as the death reaper, the grim reaper, or doom and gloom, and <laughs> heavy the the heaviness, the sadness, the anger, the palpable, painful parts of grief. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to find someone who sees grief as that warm embrace. And I think it's both, like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, it's certainly taken a long time. <laughs> I mean, there are times where, you know, my grief for my mother's passing, she just died so young and she was full of life. And then all of a sudden this nasty disease descended on her. And I still have many palpable moments about that. Um, yeah. But overall, it's just much more of an embracing. Um, yeah, so I think it's, uh, you know, like so many things in life, I think grief is what you make of it. Mm-hmm, um, absolutely. I, I think it's a human condition. We all go through it. Everyone can look at another person, whether it's someone in a foreign country you can't even understand or know about. You see a mother hugging a child or losing a parent or any or a spouse or what have you. And that's a universal thing we can all understand. It's just like a smile, right? Mm-hmm. Grief is like kind of the opposite of a smile, I think. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many different ways to like everything else. There's so many different choices about what you do with your grief. Um, and it's kind of a moment to moment thing, just like everything else in life. Uh huh. You know? Yeah. Let's dive more deeply into like your experiences with grief with your mom and then compare that with the grief with your dad. Um, So what was it like as a caregiver for your mom having ALS as well as two energetic toddler daughters at the time? Yeah, so it was totally different. Um, a total like almost flip sides of the coin Mm -hmm. because I watched my mother. So she had, she was diagnosed. She, she was, we were all lucky. She probably had the beginnings of it for, I would say five years for sure. Three and a half. She got diagnosed at three and a half years before she passed, but Mm -hmm. she was fortunate for ALS because she had the lumbar, the limb onset as opposed to the lumbar onset, which mm-hmm. means it literally crept up from a big toe, you know, upper body and then went to the other big toe and upper body. So it took some time for, you know, the disease to do its nasty deed, so to speak. Um, so every, so I was working full time and helping my father care give. So I was a hybrid before it became popular this past two years. Uh-huh. I was working downtown in Chicago three days a week and two days I was out by my father's with my daughters all day, like from 6.30 until 6.30 and working oh, wow. and packing up their house. And um, every week I went in there, there was some neural mobile thing that was lost from the prior week. Mm-hmm. So every time I saw her, and even sometimes during the week from the beginning, say Tuesday to even a Thursday. And then later I went to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule at my dad's and mom's and work Tuesday and Thursday at the office and then work remotely Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Mm-hmm. So with her, every time I went in, there was something else she couldn't do that I had to help her with or yeah. I had to show my dad how we were going to work with her and but she was sharp up until her last breath. She knew exactly what was going on. Um, And she was a private person and she had lost her ability to communicate, at least in general with everyone. I know how, I knew how to communicate with her. And I was trying to explain to my brother and my father, just ask ask only a yes or no question and then look at the answer and, so I know she for she was a very social person and 
her, she was all about her family. Uh-huh. And for her to lose the ability to communicate and be part of the fold, so to speak. Yeah. I know was her first line in the sand. Um, so we had ordered, back then this was a huge new thing. The technology you see now where, and now it's so evolved with the, the eyes and everything, but we ordered a, a computer where we would be able to work with her so she could communicate. And that was coming on a, this was like a Friday now or Thursday. We got all this set up. Friday hospice people came in because they were going to come in and start doing like palliative care. Uh huh. And they came into her bedroom, which I know was a huge invasion for her. And Monday, I think the computer equipment was supposed to arrive. I think it was her second line in the sand. She was gone on Saturday. I was the one that had to tell the doctor to pull the plug at 5 p.m. Her her um, breathing went first, but her heart went second. Oh, wow. So with her, it was more about helping her manage day to day. And then alongside that was a bittersweetness of, um, it was like life holding hands with death. Mm-hmm. It was like, Caregiving was was the bridge between life and death because here I had my daughters running around and my youngest kind of learned how to stand and move around with my mother's walker and just weird things like that, you know, juxtaposing. And um, it, it just was, it was very bittersweet. Yeah. And watching my dad dance with the girls and my mom sitting in a wheelchair was painful. But it also caused a lot of reflections on, you know, the circle of life. Mm-hmm. And I felt incredibly blessed to have that time for my girls, my mother. Yeah. So with my father, <laughs> it was the total opposite. Um, he's, he, he was very different personality. Uh, and very, very gregarious, very public, very public speaking. Um, he had a huge, huge PR marketing career and, and news career mm-hmm. um, and was a reporter. So he was used to reporting everything from what the weather was going to be like, wherever you were going to be traveling to the prices of the latest things at the grocery store, because we're Greek and somewhere in our past are grocers and he was a stock boy, was his first job. And so now we have someone who's used to, he was 97 and still driving uh, like three months before he turned 97. And so now he had him in a COVID isolation situation um, where he was sneaking out to go to Costco to get his eyeglasses fixed or run to the grocery store when I was ordering groceries for him because I hadn't gotten the list correct. So we had a lot of that stuff going on. Uh Um, So it required a lot more patience on my part. And every week until the grocery order from both Mariano's and, um, and Costco, which I was doing online, of course. And, trying to get delivered to him, which that process was really never clear to him. Um, So he would instruct me as to where I should tell them that particular item was in the corner of the bakery section of the grocery store. (laughs) This happened, you know, probably twice a week, at least once a week, the same conversation. So that part required a lot of um, patience. Yeah. The, the huge loss that I didn't know was going on because it wasn't as tangible as my mother's. And he was very good at hiding it because of his personality and because of his kind of take charge, get things done. Is that he was also developing dementia mm-hmm. much earlier than I realized. And I, I now after, cause I was in charge of everything settling when I, my father was so meticulous with everything, with his finances and with just everything you go back and you look at someone's checkbook at that age and you start to see 
things he would have done that you can see handwriting, all kinds of things, all kinds of signposts. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize, I thought more of what was going on was his frustration at being, you know, in lockdown. And then I was trying to keep him safe. And then I was trying to keep myself healthy so I could take care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was going through a career coaching program at the same time and working full time. And that was a lot to manage. So it was yeah. a different kind of management um, and a different kind. They were very different kind of losses because my mother's was a total visceral, physical. Every day I could see and feel the changes. My mm-hmm. father was more like a puzzle. I had to continue to figure out what was going on and, you know, manage this pandemic, manage what I now see were the evolving um, signposts and develop, developing dementia, mm-hmm. of his developing dementia. Yeah. Um, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, um, well, that was very jarring to realize in retrospect. And I had a lot of guilt from that. Um, I had a lot of guilt from not being there as much. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of um, a movie. Do you know the the movie Being There with Peter Sellers? I don't. Kind of a comedy, but but it's also kind of a philosophical thing. It's kind of an offbeat film, but. Um, he plays the character Chauncey Gardner, who is a gardener also. (laughs) And he's someone who looks at the world through a very simple lens. Perhaps people of another era, certainly not our culture now, would have called him simple. Uh Sort of like the Forrest Gump um, character uh, Tom Hanks played Uh in Forrest Gump. Kind of similar. but he was unaware of this and he didn't feel any disconnect with the reality around him. So he found himself in different situations with people just in passing. He became this big celebrity that was on talk shows and he would pontificate and um, philosophize. But by just showing up and being there, he actually had a, a huge impact on people and brought a lot of profound wisdom to many people's lives. So okay. I happened to be talking to my husband this morning and he mentioned that movie and it reminded me of, you know, with my mother, I held her hand as she passed. Mm-hmm. And my father, by the time um, he was in his deep dementia, the day he passed, I wasn't with him. But I was so blessed because the week before, when I really thought he was going to go on that weekend, I went up to my bedroom and sat on the floor and leaned down my bed. And I talked to him for an hour and a half. And he was in his hospital bed. And he was lucid the whole time. Whereas before, he was he was with NBC. He was a newsman. So I was constantly hearing about how they were broadcasting a show where they were filming a movie. Or he was writing a book. He had all these imaginary things going on. So you have to realize at that stage that I got that time with him. He knew that I was me. And I was trying to tell him that he could let go, that it was okay now. You know, Uh we would all be okay. And I prayed with him. And I sang to him, saying, we'll meet meet again, which is a song that I recorded um, on the CDs for my husband. And he was so present. Amazing. And that was really the last present conversation that I had with him. Uh-huh. So they were told, but so the reason I brought the being there um, thing is I did the best job I could given COVID of being yeah. there and showing up for him. But there's a lot of stuff to unpack. Mm-hmm. As many people had many more um, extreme situations where people passed alone in hospitals. Um, Right. You know, my father was very fortunate. I had caregivers that were very loving and they developed very close relationships with him and they were very good to me. Um, But 
you know, there are two different experiences of grief, really. Yeah. In care, in caregiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, two yeah. different people, also two different passings from what they, their diagnosis, what they had. Um, yeah. And then two different eras, you know, I practically was living with my parents back and forth and COVID completely, you know, um, scramble that up so to speak yeah and two different eras of you with your mother you were very busy young mom yeah and with your father you were still very busy but by now your kids have grown yeah and so they never stop they never stop needing you (laughs) They they sometimes say little people little problems big people big problems well, <laughs> you're never they're always going to be your babies you know so uh-huh. you're always getting calls and texts and different things are going on but yes it's not a hands on kind of thing um, but it it is very different um, you're particularly during this although we did have one of our daughters um, F A our oldest coming back and forth because of her job shifts she's mm-hmm. um, living with us two days a week. Um, but, but it is different. It's, uh, yeah, more of a remote kind of management, if you will, than when you're with toddlers. You know, I don't have to explain to you what, you know, <laughs> that's like. So, yeah. so they each have their, I think every age has been beautiful and you know there's that saying the days may be long but the years are short and it sure is true Mm -hmm. having just married a daughter so yeah it goes really fast yeah what was the most what's been the most surprising thing that you've learned about your grief through this quarter of a century well it is one of the things that I mentioned. It's it is so cliched, but there is a reason for cliches and a reason that they live on, and they get shared so much. Is that time does heal? Uh huh. Um, it doesn't remove. Yeah. Because we all have scars to some degree. Mm-hmm. But the wounds heal, um, and grief gets kinder and softer if you let it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think probably, and obviously I can't really remember, um, everything's a blur really back then, but I would imagine with my mother in particular, I had grandparents pass and, but it's different having parents pass. Mm -hmm. Um, I had thought, oh, you know, there'll be a period of grieving. I think is maybe the most, um, cliched version you hear of grieving, Oh, they'll have a period of grieving, and then presumably the implication is the grief ends. I'm mm-hmm. not really sure that's true. As I yeah. mentioned earlier, I think my biggest surprise is because you're kind of uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Surprised by Joy. And if I recall correctly, again, I read that many moons ago and stars ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was after his wife's passing. Yeah. And don't quote me on this, and I may get all kinds of fan, fan mail from C.S. Lewis um, aficionados, but I think it was about his being surprised by joy through his grief or something like that. At least that's what I'm remembering of it. Anyway, yeah. that's what I'm going to take of this message. Um, and I think that it's surprising that you can so deeply grieve someone's absence, physical absence in your life while also just as strongly celebrating the joy of both the physical presence you had with them, as well as their ongoing presence in your heart and your whole life around you. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be doing things and I suddenly realize I'm just having a conversation with my mother or I'm thinking, oh, what my dad would have thought if he had read that article or heard that piece of news. Or yeah. It did seem like a lot of really weighty, news events happening after he passed. And it was hard in that respect this past year because every single one of them, one he had to do with, he went to Northwestern as well. One he had to do with a stadium they're building there. You know, we would have been on the phone and I would have been getting an earful. Um, uh-huh. 
you know, just all the things going on in the world now, he was a really well-read all the way up until really those last few months. And we always had interesting spirited conversations and he always had an opinion. And so, you know, even now I'm doing something in the garden or working out or doing something and I'm wondering what he would have thought about, you know, what I just read this morning or what have you. So yeah, it's very bizarre that I guess before I never would have anticipated that. So I think that was the most surprising thing to answer your question that it just really never ends. It just, it's kind of like a person. Well, eventually I guess we end, but um, while we're here, we kind of just keep evolving. And I don't know, I guess your grief, this is the first time I'm thinking of this, but in a way your grief is kind of like a friendly shadow behind you. Yeah. Does it kind of just, it shadows you, it follows you, and it's kind of wherever you're at. And sometimes you see it when the light is right, but then many times you don't, but it's kind of still right behind you. I love that. I I often think of grief as a person too, oh. um, that our, our relationship with grief evolves just as we do, um, that this person is always with us, and they have a lot that we can learn from. Like they can teach us so much about ourselves and about our connection with others and about life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like you said, sometimes we see our grief very plainly and we're standing in the shadows. And sometimes we're not necessarily aware of it, but it's still there. Yeah. That's aptly put, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I just, until this moment, I never thought of it that way. But that that just, um, I kind of captures it in a nutshell, really. <laughs> because it's, it's very physical in some senses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... Any other thoughts you'd like to share about either about the legacy trilogy or about your experiences with your mother and your father and how you've grown through this time? Well, I think um, I'd like to dispel what might be an initial response to the books, which would be, oh, it's about ALS, you know, and death. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> The books are very playful. Even the dreams book, it's, it's, it's very moving and it's very captivating. And the star and moon books are, the star book actually has some constellations in it. Um, and the moon book takes the child and their adult or friendly reader through the eight phases of the moon. Uh -huh. So there are a few little like learning things that were just stuck in there. And we spent a lot of time, the illustrator and I, the illustrator for the Star and Moon books is Cheryl Cook and um, a tremendous talent. And we just developed a great partnership and um, we created something where the sum is, is just far greater than um, the whole is far greater than the sum of, you know, just the writing and the illustrations. So it was mm -hmm. just a wonderful collaborative uh, partnership. Um, so we worked very hard to get those moon phases accurate. And, you know, um, so they're kind of instructive, but in a sort of uh, furtive way. <laughs> uh -huh. And they're um, just very playful. And considering what they're about, they're very lighthearted, and they're very spirited. And um, so I guess that would be my one commentary about the books to not dispel them because, you know, they're about the circle of life, you know, love, loss and legacy. Um, they're just fun books to go through. Um, they're very yeah. lyrical. Um, so that's what I would say mostly about the books is, um, you know, if you have that feeling like, oh, wow. ALS and, you know, death, that sounds like fun. I think we'll pass. Mm, just flip them open and look at them. So, um, and hopefully wherever I do those walk and leave behind some 
I'll have the sample trilogy, but then those bookmarks where people can actually go and really see what the books are about because mm-hmm. they're they're not about ALS and they're not about death. Yeah. They're really about um, really about the empower- empowerment of love and the spirit and how joy is much, much bigger and love is much, much bigger than the finite things that we experience mm-hmm. um, in this world because we think our love is finite because, oh, we're here. You know, I can hug you. You can hug me. Um, so much bigger. Yeah. Uh, we're just like little specks. And so they're very... Um, they're fun, playful, and positive books, even though they may seem like they won't be. (laughs) So I guess that's my biggest message with that. And then um, I've learned, I have to say, you know, you go through grieving with one parent, and of course, you kind of think it's going to be very similar with your other parent. And they were totally different, as Mm -hmm. I said. Yeah. For some obvious reasons and then for some not so obvious reasons. And of course, I'm different. You know, I'm 25 years older. I'm hopefully at least some years wiser <laughs> or have gained some perspective during that 25 years. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I guess grief just seems a lot different to me now than it did before um it's been very heavy um and there is much more of a finality now after after you lose your second parent it's very very different um but i don't know it feels like and again time may just be playing games with my memory but it seemed uh a lot heavier the first round. But I also think that's because my mother was so young. I mean, my father lived almost 30 years more than my mother did. Mm -hmm. I mean, age-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother was 68 when she passed. My father was 97. So that's a huge difference. It is. And a huge phase, like a huge difference in the stages of life. And um, so... And I was young and had my young children, and I wasn't prepared to lose her. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and I wasn't really prepared to lose my father, but he's he had a long, huge, big, colorful life. And um, I've become acquainted with a lot of it going through his boxes. And <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other trip. Um, there are just a lot of things that if you open your eyes, there are just lots of little lessons and nuggets and all kinds of things as you go through the hard stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and grief is very messy in the sense that um, my husband and I cleared out what was originally my parents' home that we moved them to after she was diagnosed um, in six weeks, which is unbelievable because it was a house. It wasn't a little apartment. Yeah. And of course, most of that stuff ended up under my baby grand piano in my living room. And it's, there's still boxes around. It's very messy. Uh-huh. So you clear one place out and then it's like, what are you going to do with all this? And yeah. so that's the other part of grief that's very stuff mart like. It's very, and it's not just stuff, you know, it's like just loads and loads of photos. And I know we have eye memories and all these things now, so I'll figure out. But there's that whole level to it too, that when you're also the one in charge of doing that, now you're done with the caregiving. But like, how do you process someone else's life, particularly when it's your own parents? Yeah. And then you're thinking of your own children that are going to have to go through. So it is a very bizarre sandwiching of roles all of a sudden. Uh Um, And then I'm an artist. So my environment is pretty important to me. Like, having areas that are kind of inspiring and I'm, I'm not a neat freak by any um, pass of the imagination, but I am affected by clutter. So <laughs> that's been kind of interesting. So yeah. Um, yeah so you, that, I guess you ask about grief and that's kind of the other sort of weird part you don't think about. It's about, it's a very physically demanding 
um, job to figure out what to do with everything, Mm -hmm. you know, to figure out um, who wants what. And then if you have kids that aren't completely settled yet, then you're in this kind of weird limbo place. And so that's the other thing that I think people don't naturally think of that would be helpful for some people to understand for whoever is in that role in their family, mm-hmm. whatever they can do to help those people. Because, you know, when you have anybody passing, but particularly, obviously, I'm speaking about parents here. Um, there are a lot of jobs, a lot of hats to wear. Yeah. And there's the caregiving hat, and I happen to wear all of them. But for people to understand that, you know, the people that are physically cleaning out or, um, shall we say, managing or <laughs> liberating <laughs> the loved one's belongings and having to move the residents along, you're going, that's an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I came across, well, that's the second time I had to move my parents. The first time was when my mother had ALS at their previous home. And my father and I packed up their whole home while, you know, I was working and the girls were there. And um, and then the eventual home that I moved them to, my husband and I packed up in six weeks and I had sold in eight weeks or six weeks, something like that, which is really a very aggressive model. Mm-hmm. But I think we worked well together. And once we got in there, it was like a division of labor. And But you just come through across so many things that really are jarring. You know, it's your whole childhood. It's their lives that converge. So you're seeing your, you're seeing remnants of all the different stages that you can remember because they still have some of your stuff stored or things you remember when you were a child. Mm-hmm. Then there are things that are remembered from high school or different memories. And, and then you see their lives, like what they were even before you were born. And, you know, but those are all things you're moving around. And then you're trying to wrap your head around all these lives that are converged and then two that are now passed to a different phase. Uh And I think that's, I'm not saying that's downplayed by any means, but you know, we all think about the loss and I can't see them. I can hug them. But then you have this whole other dimension where they leave a physical footprint, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a huge one. And someone has to go in and, move those footprints, clean them, yeah, um, transfer them. And like, that seems like it's just, oh, you're packing things up. Well, it's, it's a lot to unpack actually while you're packing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it reminds me of what it was like as a caregiver for your mother when your daughters were young. Um, it's that convergence of, packing and unpacking and learning, discovering who your parents, your loved ones are, while at the same time mourning their loss, mourning that they aren't physically here with you anymore. And so it's like a lot of different mental, emotional, physical projects, for lack of a better word, going on all simultaneously happening in not only like in the physically it's in the same location, but um, like over time and space and location, mm-hmm. kind of a weird mess as you called it. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good uh, description of it. And the word that comes to mind, I don't know if it's a symphonic word or not, but cacophony. <laughs> the cacophony has to do, I believe, with, and I'll probably get music of the Sinatos coming back at me now too, but I think it's the, the convergence of a number of, I don't know if it's um, notes or elements or whatever, but that's the word that comes to mind. Um, yeah, it's it's very weird. It's, you're, you aptly described it because it's, it's really a, so many layers of things and 
one of my favorite terms that my girls get tired of listening to is there are a lot of moving parts and there are really multiple, multiple layers of moving parts when you have this kind of stuff going on. Uh And they never, they're always just there in the background swirling around and different ones come to the foreground and then different ones recede. And then some are um, competing right in your face. And, and it's just always a very um, dynamic energy. Mm-hmm. And it it is a lot to deal with and it's a lot to process. And I think that's why some of your processing comes painfully in the moment. And they're, they're really palpable, painful, jarring moments where you you just see things. Yeah. Like I, I see my father dancing with my daughters and my mother in a wheelchair. That's jarringly sharp. Um, mm-hmm. And then some you just don't really capture until you're you know, in the process after the fact. So one interesting thing about this whole unpacking as you pack um, footprints Mm -hmm. is, okay, so you're this adult, right? And you raise these adults and, and your parents are gone, but like we never stop being our children's, our parents' children. It's like, I, you just never lose the need for your parent. And that's kind of a weird thing to make peace with at the end of their lives. Yeah. Because they are supposed to precede you in death. As there's just something horrible when that doesn't happen. And we've had dear friends that have gone through that. Um, so your parents are supposed to precede you. But I think the surprising element about that grief is you're just never ready to let go of your parents. Yeah. And so we remain very childlike that way. Mm-hmm. What helps with that? What has helped you to... I'm not going to say that it ever goes away, but to ease the pain a little bit in this process. So I think these books would be a good example. Um, I just came to see them as a gift from my parents because I didn't plan them. Uh-huh. Dreams was like that. Star was like that. And Moon was like that. They just were there one day yeah. and they pretty much came out. I didn't edit a single word in dreams. I did edit a few things in Star and Moon, but otherwise they were pretty much written as is. Um, and I think pretty early on, well, I came to see their actual being as a gift that was unexpected. So I kind of felt like they came from my parents from that mm-hmm. connection. And then even though it became like a thorn in my side many times, um, this whole production process has been wonderfully, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Wonderfully um distracting and something to throw myself into a creative endeavor, which is my happy place mm-hmm. in some respects and then hair pulling in other respects. Yeah. But um, then I came to see that whole project as a gift from them to keep me engaged. So I couldn't go into my shell mm-hmm. <laughs> or somewhere else. Um, it made me connect in many ways. I mean, I'm doing this today. Um mm-hmm. I was working in constant contact with the illustrator and with publishers and talking about it all the time with my husband. And um, if I couldn't sleep at night, I'd pull out something I was trying to noodle over the books and that's what I would think about instead of whatever I was worrying about. So I felt like it was a little, is it the, I always forget, do you call them buoys, boys that are in the water, you know, the floaters? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to feel like, this passion project um, was sent for my parents to kind of keep me afloat. So did they answer your question? Sorry, I've forgotten what your question was. (laughs) Whether it answered my question or not, it's the answer that you gave. And so it's perfect. Yeah. Somehow it answered in my mind, it answered it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then I would just say, I have one comment about caregiving. Um. And it's so cliched again, but you have to take care of yourself or find some 
how to take care of yourself because it's so incredibly draining. Absolutely. And you just feel like you have sponges just pulling off of you, um, pulling energy off of you. And um, it's easy for all of that to get buried um, in busyness. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is just an endless, it never ends when someone's passing, you're trying to help them on their passage. Um, but I think it's just so important to figure out what your thing is that you can do every day, mm -hmm. whether it's whatever it is, everyone has their different things. If it's calling someone or getting out in nature or massage, I mean, all these things are very cliched, but um, and some days, some days I did that and, you know, some weeks I didn't. Yeah. And then I get to remind myself. So it's like a continual thing because I think, I think it's so easy to get swept in that current of caregiving mm -hmm. and it's a very strong, rapid current and it just keeps gaining velocity. Yeah. It doesn't reach any calm waters until, of course, after the fact. And then you have a different kind of velocity. You have the closing up velocity. And then, you know, the, and the, you know, um, unpacking and packing footprints velocity. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, I mean, it's still not over for me. And it's a year and a half, I guess now. Yeah. Well, yeah, a year and a half. Um, so again it's very cliche but for a reason because it's sort of that whole thing about you know the parents that are on the plane with the children if you have to put oxygen mass on you have to put yours on first or you're not going to be there to help your child yeah and so um you know even sometimes when i was feeling very impatient or very overwhelmed particularly with my father now my most recent experience i had to trying to figure out how to take a step back or, and I just there, as I mentioned, because of the COVID, the game changer COVID and the pandemic, it added so many layers mm -hmm. um, to the caregiving uh, responsibility. And so much of it was laden with guilt. And so for me, my particular thing afterwards now is when that comes out to just verbalize it, and then to figure out how to let it go, because at the end of the day, most of us try to do the best that we can. Yeah, none of us is perfect, and none of us can control all the factors. And there are so many unforeseen things when you're a caregiver. Um, but I guess the thing, the most constant thing is, at the end of the day, you're going to have to come back to yourself, and other people still need you. It's not just the care, the person passing. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting when someone is passing, a lot of other people need help too. So you're not dealing only with your own grief, but particularly if you're a mother, you're dealing with everyone else's grief around you. Yeah. Um, and that's a particularly challenging spot to be in because as mothers, we kind of give and give and give and give. And when you're in that sort of fulcrum um, role, that can be very challenging to figure mm -hmm. all of that out and how to still listen to your own inner voice. Yeah. Um, so I think the last thing I want to see, say about caregivers is I'm going to bring another movie in that maybe no one's seen or heard of, but Fred Rogers, do you know who he is? Oh mm. uh, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I do. On PBS. He, yeah, he's yeah. passed now, but they had a motion, right. they had a mo motion picture they did on his life and everything. And, he was just a very kind, big-hearted person who also wanted to help children and mm -hmm. help the adults. You know, whether you liked him or not or agreed with this kind of little bit older, stodgier ways, whatever. He just, um, he seemed to exude compassion for children and the relationship that they had with the adults that love, love them. Yeah. And... I remember something that he said his mother said to him, and I might misquote it a little bit, but she said, wherever there's, and this I've been thinking about a lot with the various things that go on in our society now, you know, whatever they are, I'm not going to even give them credence by mentioning them, but um, wherever there's the tragedy, I think she said, 
look for the helpers. There are always helpers. That's beautiful. And so I would say for caregivers, someone's passing is going to be a tragedy, a, mm -hmm. a tragedy of loss for the caregiver. Yeah. There are so many people out there to help caregivers. There are professional people like you. Um, there's family. There's friends. Um, sometimes there are strangers mm -hmm. that you just happen to meet and you mention one thing to or they ask you a question. But again, it's sort of like if you keep your eyes and your ears open um, and every day you ask for help and you look for the helpers, they really come around. So that's a really easy way to try and take care of yourself if you're a caregiver. Amazing. So many insights and nuggets and good analogies and perspectives from our conversation today. Oh, thank you. And um, I gratefully, it's such a, well, it's still a raw topic, um, but yeah. it's such a heartfelt and vulnerable one. And thank you for providing such a compassionate space to explore it, Jenny. You're welcome. Thank you for stepping into that and, and trusting me and our listeners with your vulnerability, with your experiences, with the rawness and the authenticity. I see it as such a gift. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Well, you made it easy, and I don't know who all those listeners are going to be, but I'm not going to worry about them today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share today? Um, just that I'm, I'm just really grateful for this opportunity. I just feel like it's the first step in um, reaching a lot of people that might be touched by um, this trilogy. And I'm excited to see what organizations that response will then touch and mm -hmm. um, I'm also very open to the process of wherever this will lead me um, since these were surprise gifts yeah. and I'm now putting them out there into the universe. Um, I'll kind of see where they take me and that's exciting to me. I don't have a, many pre preconceived notions about that. So it's a big, brave world and I'm stepping out into it. <laughs> uh -huh. Awesome. Amazing, amazing work. Amazing courage amazing faith thank um, you for our listeners again where can people find you and the trilogies uh yeah my website my author website which is www.lindasaran.com awesome it's been another amazing conversation here on share your story exploring humanity one heart at a time thank you so much linda for sharing your story with us and thank, thank you, you for having me, Jenny. It's been such a pleasure and a gift. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and receiving these stories. If you appreciated this episode, remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on special subscription-only content. To learn more about what I do at Grieving Coach, visit my website, grievingcoach.com, and sign up for my email newsletter. I send out tips, publications, and upcoming events regularly. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story. That's beautiful.